Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, my name's Graham. If you're a visitor with us today, great to have you here. Uh, I'd love you to keep open Mark chapter 15. And there's also an outline in, um, in your bulletins if you wanted to follow along with that. It's one of those outlines that doesn't really give you a structure of where we're going. It just gives you some, some things to think about. That's how it works. Uh, I'm going to pray for us in a moment um, once we've got all our souls settled. All right, let's, um, let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for your love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And may we may you direct our hearts today and our minds to the cross and your grace for us, that, that love for us that you have that we didn't deserve, um, seen on, on the cross of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, welcome to anyone watching at home. Um, there, there's a number of our families still affected by COVID, uh, so um, keep them in your prayers. It's pretty frustrating. I think there's a couple of families who uh, have got that worst-case scenario where one person gets it and then another gets it and they've got to isolate and keep isolating. It just takes forever to get through. So um, it, it's, it's hard going. Well, um, they reckon, hey, by the end of today, the PM will, um, will go to Government House and he'll pick a date for the election. May something or other, something like that. Who knows what it's going to be? That probably comes as no surprise to anyone at the moment. Um, elections are coming, or well, election is coming. It, it did get me thinking to one of my favourite pastimes, looking at election slogans, election campaign slogans. These are great. The, the, these are the phrases that sum up what that, what that, all that that party stands for, right, in the election campaign. It's their message in a nutshell. So here are some highlights. Thought I'd share them with you, if that's okay. Um, so there's the Gillard-Abbott 2010 election. So Gillard-Labor, let's move Australia forward. Good. And coalition was stand up for Australia, stand up for real action. We can't afford Labor anymore. Um, that was in brackets. Uh, the 2011 Howard versus... 2007 Howard versus Rudd. So Labor, this is um, Rudd, and he won, of course... Uh, new leadership, fresh ideas, Kevin 07. Who can forget Kevin 07? Eh? It worked. Um, I remember Kevin 08 because I got a new mattress at home thanks to the Kevin 08 bonuses. Um, fantastic. Um, and the coalition that year had proven leadership for Australia, go for growth. Didn't work. Um, the Australian Democrats, remember them? Not around anymore. They ran under bring back balance. How about that? But here's my favourite. goes back to the classic 1972. Um, Labor ran with Gough Whitlam, it's time. And for those who were around at the time, uh, I wasn't, um, might remember the song that went with it. There was a classic jingle that went with it's time. I, I couldn't sing it for you. I don't think I know it well enough. Um, and the <laughs> what I love about this, though, I think it's hilarious, the Labor went with it's time and Liberal went with not yet. Isn't that awesome? And then in brackets, right today, right for your future. So it's time, not yet. Anyway. So, look, if you had, a quick, um, if you had to quickly sum up Christianity, uh, giving it a slogan. I don't really like the feel of that, really. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right, but bear with me for a moment. A phrase that sums up the Christian message. Just, just get your mind thinking through that for a moment. What would that be? 
What would you put it down to? If you had only a short time to answer that question, what is Christianity? What is it in a nutshell? Pass in just a few words, the heart of Christianity. Because I I reckon today, uh, in these 15 verses, and we're only going to focus on the first 15 verses of Mark 15, I reckon today in these 15 verses, that's what we see. We find Barabbas, the, the guilty yet forgiven. We find Jesus, the innocent, yet condemned. The innocent takes the place of the guilty. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, as we finished last week from 1 Peter 3.18. So Christianity at its heart, this is something that I've used, a little demonstration I've used a number of times. Um, so my right hand here, all right, that's us. Let's just say the ceiling is God, that's good enough for the time being. And, and here's our sin. I couldn't find a, a book, book really big enough, but that's bigger so I could find in my bookcase. That, that's our sin. And, and that stops us from relating to God. What happens on the cross is that this sin is placed on Jesus. And so we can be right with God. We can know God. He, Jesus brings us to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. Uh, Luther called it, Martin Luther called it, the great exchange. Our sin laid on him. So today, as we open up Mark 15, we're going to meet a bunch of characters uh, from the Jewish leaders, the high priests and so forth. We're going to meet the crowd, not more characters. And of course, there's Pilate and there's Barabbas and there's Jesus. So the next, whatever it might be, 15, 20 minutes, let's find out where you fit in that story. Let's find out where you fit in Mark 15. Because one of these characters is you. So, let's pick things up from chapter 15, verse 1. I'd love you to have your Bible open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got your phone there or something like that. If you want to, there's Bibles in the foyer. You could, you'll feel free to jump up and grab one. So, 15, verse 1, the, the Jewish religious authorities, having reached their decision to condemn Jesus, uh, probably very early on the Friday morning, we read about what happened on the Thursday night last week, uh, in fact, what we might do, let's just jump back. If you've got your Bible there, flick back to 14 verse 60. So if you scroll back or turn back, 14 verse 60. And let's just read from there for, uh, for a few verses. So then the high priest stood up. This is, you could call this Jesus' first trial, right? We're going to read about his second trial in a minute in Mark 15. So 14 verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Okay, now let's jump to 15 verse 1 again. So it's later that morning. We're, we're, it's still very early, most likely around 6am. The, the Jewish religious authorities bind Jesus, so they've tied him up, and they turn him over to Pilate, the Roman governor. It's about a 500-metre walk from the high priest's residence to the governor's residence. 
Now, Roman authority needed to well, Roman authority was needed to secure an execution. But there was also some political reasons for getting Pilate involved. Having the, the strong arm uh, of Rome against Jesus, especially the shame and public disgrace of, of death by crucifixion, would rule out any attempt from his followers to continue with Jesus' mission after his death. So the Jewish leaders thought. <laughs> History tells us otherwise, doesn't it? Mark doesn't really go into much detail of um, describing the procedures of the trial. It's not his concern. We can read other, uh, other uh, secular documents to find out how this might have worked. But we can get a bit of a picture of what went on. Archaeological he evidence helps us as well. Pilate would have taken his seat, and this is not a bad little, this, that little picture to have in your mind, um, Pilate would have taken his position at the open-air judge's seat outside the governor's house. It's close to Herod's palace, by the way. And there he sat high above the accusers and the crowd, looking down upon them. The chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law then made their accusations to him uh, with whatever witnesses they could conjure up. Then the judge, and that's Pilate in this case, would ask his own questions then the accused would make his defence and after which the judge declares the verdict. Now, if the accused is declared guilty, retribution will pretty much follow immediately. Now, we can work out from verse 2 of chapter 15 that the primary charge that the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, brought to Pilate's attention against Jesus, justifying the death sentence, was that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. You see, the Romans didn't execute for blasphemy and that was the charge at Jesus' first trial, wasn't it? We just read before uh, at his, um, with the Jewish leaders. But the, the Romans didn't execute. They didn't send people to the cross for, for blasphemy but they did for high treason. Claiming to be the king of the Jews, well, of course, there's only one king in Rome and that was Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Any other king was a pretender. So in yet another act of deceit, the high priest had converted the Sanhedrin's conviction of Jesus for blasphemy into a charge of high treason because he knew that way he'd get a conviction execution. Well, Jesus' response to Pilate's, simple, uh, Pilate's question is simple. Jesus says, you have said so. Literally, the words are yours. Which is, which is Jesus simply acknowledging what he is accused of, high treason. Without offending any further, he says nothing more. In fact, his silence amazes Pilate. In fact, the chief priests accused Jesus, verse 3, of many things. The more accusations, the more chance one will stick. Sort of how it works. Throw the book at them type thing as much as you can. Hopefully one will stick. The reality is, and Pilate knows it, Jesus is innocent. Look down at verses 9 and 10 with me. Do you, want me to know, uh, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate knew he was innocent. But Pilate still condemns Jesus. Uh, not to satisfy justice at all, but to satisfy the crowd. And verse 15 tells us that. 
Well, in verses 6 to 15, Mark turns his focus uh, to Jesus and Barabbas and us, which is what we'll do now. The custom at the Passover, verse 6 explains, was to release a prisoner to the crowd. At the time, uh, Pilate was holding a prisoner named Barabbas. He was uh, an insurrectionist. So an insurrectionist was sort of like a a freedom fighter, organised riots against the state. Um, And he was apparently the leader of a recent uprising against the Romans. So he himself was awaiting crucifixion. The crowd, well, sensing their opportunity to have Jesus condemned, urged Pilate to observe this custom of releasing a prisoner to the the Jews at uh, Passover. But Pilate offers them Jesus to be released, knowing Jesus was innocent. But the chief priests, no, no, they, they stir up the crowd and they ask for Barabbas instead. Verse 11 tells us. I reckon we should try and imagine the scene. Try to imagine being Barabbas for a moment. So there was Barabbas sitting in his dark and dirty cell. He was waiting for the guard to come to come and get him and take him on his final walk. He heard the crowds outside gathering to watch the next crucifixion, as they do. He was waiting to die, nearly the equivalent of death row. But there was something more, there was more noise than usual today, more shouting, there was more hustle and bustle. Of course, he knew what was coming. He knew that he had taken other people's lives. And he knew that according to Roman law, his just desert lay in the giving of his own life. He also knew the fear and agony of crucifixion. He'd seen it many times before. He knew that it could take a long time and he was scared. Not so much of dying, but he was scared of this way of dying. There was no glory in this way of dying. It was only humiliation and mockery hanging there naked waiting to die but today there was no way out for Barabbas justice was to be done today he was to be punished for his crimes well outside the crowds were getting excited he had heard that about an hour ago the authorities had taken this guy Jesus a carpenter from Nazareth outside for his trial. Barabbas had found out that Jesus had spoken out against the Jewish authorities, but he hadn't committed any serious offences. Barabbas knew that there was a good chance this Jesus would just be beaten and then released back to the crowds. It would still be humiliating, but he'd survive. He heard the crowds shouting, We want Barabbas! We want Barabbas! Crucify him! Crucify him! He thought to himself, soon it'll all be over. Well, footsteps approached his cell door. His stomach muscles clenched. Nausea engulfed him. And the cell door drew back. What happened next 
took several minutes to sink in. Surely there must be a mistake. He repeated the guard's words to himself. All right, Barabbas, you can go. You're a free man. Don't ask me why, but they're going to crucify Jesus of Nazareth instead of you. See what Mark wants? Mark wants us to contrast the two men. Barabbas was guilty and deserved to be condemned. Jesus was innocent and did not deserve to be condemned. Yet it's Barabbas who goes free and Jesus who goes to the cross. Jesus, innocent yet condemned, takes the place of Barabbas. Guilty yet not condemned. The price of Barabbas' freedom is the death of Jesus. It didn't cost Barabbas anything. It cost Jesus everything. You see, Mark intends the reader, that's you and I, to stand in the place of Barabbas. Mark wants the reader to respond and say, call me Barabbas, that's who I am. Barabbas actually simply means son of the father. It's not a very creative name. (laughs) It's a generic name that could be used for anyone. You, me included. Barabbas represents us all, guilty and condemned, deserving God's judgment and death. But Jesus takes our place. His death is the price for our freedom. Remember Mark 10 verse 45. There's that picture of um, representing a sort of Barabbas. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the thing though. The thing is, a lot of us, we respond by saying, I'm not really like Barabbas. You know, I'm, I'm no murderer. And nor would I try to overthrow the government, although I reckon some of you would give it a go if you had half the chance. Um, <laughs> my sin's nothing like his. Surely God will look over my sins and accept me for who I am. I'm better than that. You know, the truth is, our hearts are far more like Barabbas than we'd like to admit. And just like Barabbas, everyone needs the saving death of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Everyone. Remember last week, Peter, James and John, they needed it. Barabbas needed it. And of course, so do we. I want to play you a song in a moment. Uh, A song which takes us through these final moments with Jesus and his disciples. uh, With Barabbas... And, and, and the author of the song calls on us to say, but for the grace of God. That's what Barabbas says, effectively, but for the grace of God. On the cross. I was there when they crucified my Lord, uh, the singer sings. Because there on that cross, he took my sin. There on that cross, he took my shame. There on that cross... Jesus took my place, the place that I deserved to bring me to God. He died for me and, friends, of course, he died for you. Take a moment, enjoy the song, uh, maybe take a moment to pray and give thanks to God that he sent Jesus who took my place, took your place on that cross. Thanks, Rod.
for the grace of God. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, to take our place. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave yourself up for me, for us here. And we pray that we would call ourselves Barabbas because you took our place. You died for us so that we can know you. We can be right with you. Amen.